You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken, we have been getting a lot of each other lately, and I'm not complaining. We really have. It feels like we're practically roommates. It really does. Especially since your background is hardwood-based and mine is wood-based here. It feels like we're in different rooms of the same house. Kind of like you and Tyler looked like you were upstairs and downstairs. I kind of feel like we click end on these recordings and I'm going to walk out and high five you in the hallway. Go on with our day. (laughs) If we only could. You start to think about the time we spend together. Like I think of some of my best Mm -hmm. friends outside of racing or I think of family members or I think of all of that. And I think, all right, well, I spent four hours with Bracken on Saturday I spent two hours with him in an athlete interview on Wednesday and an hour, two hours with him on race brain on Tuesday recording and an hour with him on a Monday recording and training Tuesday. And you start to add that up and you and I converse for nine to 10 hours last week, face to face. And this week we're getting ahead on recordings cause I'm going on vacation. So we're going to get a lot more. Like I certainly don't talk to my mother, my sister, Christ. I barely get that much FaceTime with Jess each week with our work schedules. Yeah. How lucky are we? Yeah, we're just we're throwing more into our bucket, Kirk. We are. Over and over. We're building this thing we strong. We might have something coming up. We're not going to say anything about it yet. That might even have us having more of each other. Yes, we will. Yes, we All will. All right. So, um do we just want to jump right into our giveaway or do you want to do you want to update anybody on how you're doing? Anything any updates on your end? No, I think that's the the other side of of us putting ten hours on the mic in last week is that people also saw us some not everyone, but some saw us for nine or ten hours last <laughs> week or heard us. So I don't know if we need to preamble much today. We can get right into the topic because it's a timely, important topic. And you always like to tell me, Well, this is your baby, go with it. Well, this was your baby. You came up with this and I'm this is one of those where I'm embarrassed that I haven't thought of it earlier. Mm-hmm. But Take her and run, Kirk. Well, this was a listener submission, first of all, so it wasn't my idea, but oh, it, was. it was a good one. Yeah, and I need to look well, and I take it back. give credit to that. Um, and I want to say bless your hearts if you're listening to this episode and how much you tolerate us. Um, it's shocking to me. Before we jump into the episode, uh, though, we have a giveaway, Bracken. This is very exciting. The Running Public shirts are in. They are packaged we're having a little bit of a delivery snafu. Um, they raised our rates for shipping, and we had to find a new... Really? Yes, it's just with fuel and everything. So shipping ended up being more than what we're charging people who bought them, so we're losing on that. But we found a secondary method of shipping. You guys don't really need to carry yourself with the details, but it set us back a little bit. So some shirts went out uh, today. The rest will be going out by the end of the week, so just hang tight on those. But um, we're doing a giveaway. Four reviews. Bracken, I looked back at our Apple Podcast reviews, and we have, I think, two in the last, like, four months. You guys show up strong when we ask, and you come in droves, and then, of course, it's crickets after that. And so we just don't have many recently. And and I've noticed that we've fallen just a little bit on the 
the endurance space uh, charts. And I think a lot of it is due to just lack of interaction on that ratings and review end. So, man, do we hate algorithms? Oh, it's the worst. Ugh. Yeah. So, anyways, we're giving away three T-shirts, three running public T-shirts of your choice, of your size. Um, and this is good. We are going to draw names next week. So you have a week to do it. We're looking for a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you do it anywhere else, take a screenshot and send it to us. And a new written review, doesn't matter what it says, doesn't matter how many stars, you're going to enter in a random raffle. Three running public t-shirts, up for grabs, got to write something, can't just rate. What do you think about that, Bracken? Oh, I like it. And it got me thinking, Kirk, I stumbled upon something. How often do you think we check our ratings and reviews? Quarterly? Probably ish, yeah. Well, I stumbled down. Someone said someone left a funny review for a different podcast that mentioned us. Okay. So I went and checked it. And then while I was there, I thought, I haven't checked in months our reviews. And I went, we had a bunch of one-star reviews, which I always think are funny because I understand we could be like a two or a three-star, but one is horrible. A truly terrible one out of five performance. It, it, it's, it's bad. Like you put your name on top of the test and you get a one out of five. I agree. So I looked and I, out of curiosity, I read our one star reviews. Three of them, Kirk. Three of them were either from current or past athletes who I coach or coached. Okay. Glowing reviews clicked one star instead of however many. <laughs> So I don't know what that says about me hmm. <laughs> the type of people I attract to me that our level of organization or how you've rubbed off. on Yeah. Them. Or maybe they truly intended, it, but it's like great podcast. You'll love it. Blah, blah, blah. One star. My own people are who are bringing us down. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, there's your, I jokingly told one of them cause I knew it was a mistake and he, uh, he changed it right away, but I didn't tell the other two. I'm going to see how long it takes for them to catch it. Or I will find out. That they were just saying the words they thought I wanted to hear, but they were secretly telling me what they really thought about mm. me with the one star. Be mixed signals right there, wouldn't it? <sighs> mixed signals. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be allowed. But point being, any no matter if you rate us one or five stars, no matter if you write a long review or a short review, it does not matter. Um, just give us your honest feedback, and maybe a one-star review will get a T-shirt. Who knows? It's going to be in the mix just the same. So yeah. thank you ahead of time for that. Um, looking forward to seeing those coming in. Uh, topic today now, now that that's out of the what, way. One more thing with that. Lisa oh, yeah. texted me a screenshot. So we were in separate rooms last night. I had a sick kid with me. Hmm. And she said, you guys are getting up, up to 1 million downloads. We're at like 890,000 downloads. So we will hit 1 million total downloads sometime, hopefully, ideally, by the end of the year. So that would be a great Christmas present for us, Kirk. Wow. A million listens. That's exciting. Very yeah. exciting. Again, I think bless your heart. I don't know what it means. I don't know either. But it's a big number. And I don't think that I – mean, we don't need to get into specifics, but I don't think it tracks all the downloads either. Like I think we miss a lot of them um, on our website tracker. Who knows? But Is it too much to ask that iTunes gives us just simply $1 per download? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? No, that's not too much at all. Would that be too much to ask? $1 just per one. download. Yeah, we could. For less than the price of a cup of coffee a day. We could live together on that sort of wage. We could make it happen. Yeah. All right. Today's topic. I'm taking no credit for this, but I really liked the idea. 
We have World's Toughest Mutter coming up. We did have Spartan Ultra 24 Hour coming up, and then that got canceled, so we didn't do the episode before then. But World's Toughest Mutter is coming up, what, early November? So we're just we're a week, couple weeks out. And somebody said, hey, why don't you talk about not being a good athlete, how to approach the ultra, but how about being the right crew member for your athlete? how to support your athlete the right way, what the athlete needs and wants, because every ultra athlete typically, hopefully, has a crew, and nobody ever tells the crew really how to go about business. Um, And so that's what we're here to dissect today, is how to be a good or fitting crew member for your ultra athlete. It's such a good idea. And maybe we just had half the people tune out. have no, no desire to ever crew anyone in an ultra. They're either the ones running or they think ultras are dumb and why would I ever do that? However, I have never, ever, ever heard anyone crew someone and not enjoy themselves. They all walk out of there having taken as much out of it as the athletes. Mm -hmm. So I, as a fan of trail running and mountain running and endurance sports, think that everyone who listens to this podcast should make it a goal of theirs that sometime in the next calendar year, they crew someone in an ultra. Tim Lambiris, for example, he crewed his first ultra this year. It didn't end up happening the way he intended to, but he just got onto the message board for, I want to say it was the, um, what is that call here? He talked about it on our episode. Yeah. Why can't I think of the trail system I run? The Ice Age Trail? The Ice Age. Ice Age 50. And 100. This guy signed up for 100 and he said, I'll crew you. The guy was coming in from out of town with no people and he said, I'll do it and I'll pace you the last 20 or 30 or whatever. And the guy ended up DNFing before he got there. And Tim was loving the atmosphere and just found someone at the aid station who looked like they were alone and said, Hey, you want some company? And he ran with the guy and helped crew for him. So mm-hmm. he left having an awesome time. Everyone does. When I run Tennessee Mile on the way home, they're all talking the whole way. Usually you run a race and you want to talk about it and then you feel guilty because everyone in the car is sick of hearing about your race. They talk nonstop about their experience out there on the course. So I I want to challenge every listener to crew someone in the next year. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we want to uh, how do we want to open this book here? I, I sort of have one, um, well, two leading points, I think, with this. Um, the The first leading point... Uh, is it's not about you. So try to remind yourself of that because your job is laborious as a crew member. Your job is taxing. Your job is often boring. You're in elements with nothing going on. And it's easy to start to get antsy, feel a little bad for yourself, be a little over it. Um, And you just have to remind yourself like this is a very selfless act. And you may also not be treated the best at times if somebody hits a low. You just have to be have to remind yourself that it's not about you. And I don't think anybody goes in crewing thinking it is, but just remember that. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Endurance training when you're broken down creates weird emotions and weird things. And oftentimes people out on course, your athletes are acting almost irrationally at times because they have cloudy thinking and things bubble to the surface. So it's like you have to sort of allow... You just have to remember that it's not about you. The athlete is going through some crazy roller coasters of emotions. And then the other thing is that you have to you have to discern and decide between love 
and tough love. And there's going to be decisive points in your crewing experience in every single ultra when you need to show love and then you need to show tough love. And so you have to be a really good read of character on this person you're crewing to know when or where to act in each certain way. Because ultimately, Mm -hmm. that person is going to be relying on you to give them a dose of reality when things start to get tough. So you have to find a good balance between supporting, but also enforcing, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think that'll be something we should probably save for a little later, because I want to get into that significantly, is how do you actually transition from support staff to coach to right. life coach to <laughs> right. like everything that you're going to turn into on course there. But I think I think this process starts before you get to the race. A great crew member. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about building a great crew member. You start planning like the athlete starts planning. And so one of the best things you can possibly do is meet up with the person you're going to crew beforehand. And sit down and have them talk you through what their plan for the race is. Mm -hmm. Because you have to understand what they're trying to do before you can understand what you need to do to support them. And so to hear their entire race plan strategy-wise and then talk through what their kit's going to be, why they're wearing these shoes and why they're bringing these shoes along, why they're starting with this fuel and why they might progress to this. So you get to start to get a read on this person is planning on doing this and if it goes wrong, they're going to do this and if it goes right, they're going to do this so that you on race day can know, listen, if I start to see signs of it going wrong, I'm having this ready, but I also have the thing that they want ready you become a better reader of your athlete if you know going in what they're intending to do. Know the plan. Got to know the plan and the why. Ask the questions and understand, yes, the plan and then also what your athlete is hoping for or their expectations of you. Like actually having like a sit-down conversation just like you mentioned. And and not only dissecting the nuances like food choices, beverage choices, what are you going to want here and when and there? Because really, you're sort of like a, a glorified chef, we will call it, because your primary responsibility is going to be to make sure this athlete stays fueled and they stay comfortable. So you're like a closet organizer and you're a chef and you're managing mm-hmm. all of that. And then eventually you do become like a counselor, like you said. But it's understanding like their expectations um, – and their desires. So coming up with like a bullet point list or like an outline, a lot of times uh, ultra athletes will break this up into segments, daytime, nighttime, you know, after the first 12 hours, whatever. And so getting like the game plan, exactly. Like a coach and his team sits down and the coach tells the team what's going to happen. And then they go out and execute a game plan. Like you shouldn't have to ask yourself what to do because you should think of those those bases should be covered ideally in that conversation before and so i'm really glad you brought that up because you do often find like oh i'm gonna go crew for this person they go they show up and and maybe don't know everything they could and those little things can matter when when you get deep into an old yeah and sometimes you don't have the opportunity to sit down and do all this but every serious ultra athlete and by serious i mean you're taking the process serious there is no time limit or pace limit on serious It's just if you're seriously approaching this, everyone has a list, either on a document or on their phone, on their notes app or on paper. You just need a copy of that. Mm. At the very least, you need to have seen that before you get to the race. 
Worst case scenario is you need to get that at the race. But it's as easy as, hey, can you take a, a screenshot of your document or take a picture of your notebook or share your document, I mean, whatever it's going to be, so that you have the same information to work off. And then you just read it. You read over it. It doesn't take long to look at it. And then on race day, when race brain hits for both of you, mm-hmm. this as an aside, race brain, our, the other podcast, is not about like a think tank. It's about the physical act of being dumb once the race sets in. <laughs> exactly. When the when the fog settles in on your brain because you're in oxygen debt or you're tired, that's race brain. We get sarcastic comments from Matt B. Davis sometimes saying, oh, I'm not brainy enough to be in race brain. It's like, no, no, no. We're, this is self-deprecating. So when race brain sets in, you have your cheat sheet you can look back to and be like, all right, we're still trying to hit 60 to 90 milligrams of salt per hour. I think he's taking this on course, but I'll probably... He missed his last bottle. I, I'll probably get out a tablet now, a, a tab, a salt tab, and I'm just going to have it ready for him in case he, he or she needs it. So being able to look back on your phone and just have that there, it's really, really valuable because you'll both lose focus at some point slightly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just talking about um, your athlete coming in to pit, uh, most of these are lap-style ultras. If not, you're ahead at aid stations. WTM, Spartan Ultras would have been a lap format ultra, but just having – Having whatever checklist items ready and having options and options mm-hmm. and options, I think is, is more important than anything. Um, not sitting there be like, what can I go and get and do for you? And then not have that available at an arm's reach. It's more like kind of like ready for anything at all times. And what I find um, is oftentimes a good crew member, like you have to be a good read of the situation and a good read of like character and how things are going. And so an athlete may not even know they need something. And it's actually Mm -hmm. on you to play that intuition role and be like, no, I think like if I go run quick down the street and get a McDonald's cheeseburger, will that change their life? Something they never knew they needed and something as simple as that get them their pumpkin spice latte they had no idea was coming and that warm surprise goodness that they didn't expect or anything of the like sometimes things like that are like can keep the momentum moving forward so like having some sort of like intuition or like you're sitting around and it's 2 a.m and you're cold and it's starting to become miserable and you're feeling a certain way and you're feeling sleep deprived imagine how they're feeling and then be like what do i want right now well maybe maybe something like that plays into it as well so just like yeah Trying to like allow your instincts to take over. Like, yes, there's a script, but then thinking outside the box sometimes with like how to help your athlete um, is like okay and welcome. Most of the time, when a crew member like you know tests something out or swings a little bit left or right, it usually ends up playing to the athlete's advantage. So, like, trust your intuition as a crew member. Allow yourself to um, to do things like that. They may not go with it. Don't 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 get me wrong, but. Um, can never hurt to ask. And so I, I think that no. I think things like that can go a long ways. They can. And and my my mentality with this is that you have to treat your athlete like a toddler or a preschooler. Like you know the signs of a little kid when they're getting crappy, what it means. You need rest or you need food. Those are the two things. You have to treat your athlete like that. Yep. When you see them start to come in and at, at one station they're starting to get despondent, they're getting quiet, they they're getting sad or they're getting angry or grumpy whatever it is you know something has to change and you're probably not going to be like hey you need to sit and rest unless this is like a two three hundred mile race where you need to take rest from time to time but usually it's food based 
Mm-hmm. And when our little kids are getting crabby, it's all right. Let's go grab a snack. Mm-hmm. And you and you can you almost treat it like picking your kid up from school or daycare, where you're sitting there with the other parents, you're waiting for your kid to come out the doors, and you start looking at the other kids who are coming out the doors, and you start to see trends. Uh-huh. Like everyone's fired up and jazzed up. And if that's the case, then you get ready to ask them, wow, what just happened? What went so well? And they feed off being able to tell you, oh, we just hit this sick descent. Or we had the most beautiful sunrise. Or there was a bareback, you know, whatever it is. Or the kids are coming out crabby. Kids are, they're, they're drooping, they're moping. Some kids are crying. You get ready to play medic and, and uh, comforter to your child. Same thing with the athlete. You see a couple people coming in, starting looking like they're dragging. Mm-hmm. You get ready to pick your athlete up. That way you can ask them, wow, what was that last climb really tough? Or looks like people are really starting to struggle. Because if they are, it's comforting for them to hear that. And you can start handing them whatever you think they need or what they know they need as soon as they hear, wow, you're starting to look rough. But if they're not, they get that boost of, yeah, everyone around me had a really tough day at school today. Mm-hmm. Teacher pulled out my artwork and said I had the best. You know, Then they get fired up about it and... Same thing with this athlete. You get to be like, yeah, everyone's looking rough, but you look awesome. And they're like, yup. And they get out and they fire down the trail and they're on top. So treat them like a toddler. Treat them like a preschooler. Yeah. And really, you're like two roles that you will play is one, the voice of reason, and two, the question asker. When somebody comes into pit, you got to think like, how are you feeling? How are your feet doing? That blister last lap, where is it at? Is your stomach feeling okay? What sounds good to you? Anything I can help with? Are you chafing at all? Because what happens is sometimes people get so used to just kind of being in their misery that they start to overlook things. And what happens is little anthills become mountains. Like a little underarm chafing can stop somebody's race, literally. Mm -hmm. Because when your lats start bleeding from chafing and every step is painful, um, it just wears on you when when it continues, you know, hour after hour after hour. So your job is to ask all the questions until you get an obvious, like, leave me the F alone. I just want to exist. And even still then, like, pry, pry, because you're going to be sort of the uh, the peace mover here. And you're going to see the picture from an objective lens where your emotions aren't, like, involved and you're not numbed or heightened due to the effort. And so it's really, it's like any question you can think of that seems relevant to what is going on. Uh, ask, 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 because th- you may undercover something. Hey, why don't we just, you said that blisters, just something in your foot. Let's just change your socks really quick. I'll help you. Like you are trying to take the thinking out of it for your athlete. You ask the questions and then really it's like on you to make decisions once the going gets tough. And so, so ask, 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 and then you decide just decision fatigue is real. The athlete, typically, if you're a good crew member, like may say, Give me the PB and J, or give me some potato chips, or give me the like. They might give you that, but other than that, like you're making decisions. You're making a lot of decisions for them, and a lot of people think they they need to let the athlete make the decision and wait for them to. But I'll tell you what, I don't want to be making decisions. I want to be told what to do because I need to put all my energy and effort into the effort itself. Not should I or shouldn't I change my socks, or should I put some utter cream under my arm real quick? That is your like major role. And then voice of reason also just like, hey, reality check, yo, like your knee got worse and worse these last three laps. Like every time you come in, you said it's worse. Let's take five minutes and do something about it. Or Anyways, you get where I'm going with that. But if you're not asking five to 15 questions every time somebody comes into pit, you're leaving something on the table. So questions, asking questions constantly. Yeah, and you slowly take away the power. 
at the beginning as the runner's coming in, I think you're leading with, what do you need? Yes. We started with this and this. This was our plan. What else do you need? What do you want from me? And as the race progresses, as that light in their eyes starts to fade, you start giving them less wiggle room to answer with anything other than yes or no. Yes. You start with give me your desires. And as the race progresses, it goes from what do you need to I have this and this. Do you want these or something else? And eventually you have here's this. Mm -hmm. You make them tell you no eventually. At the beginning, you're open to all suggestions. Early on, you present them with yes or no answers. And then late or whenever it goes bad, now you force them to say no. Eat this. Drink this. Let's get those shoes off you. At Just like a toddler, once they're overtired, they need to be forcefully told what will happen, and they're going to follow the power. <laughs> it's a power vacuum. A toddler will follow you if you're authoritative when they're acting out. Same thing with an athlete. Early on, give them their freedom, but when it's nap time, you have to say, hey, you're changing your shoes. Here's your pack. Take it and go. They don't have to use it, but they shouldn't be able to miss something because they can't think about it anymore. I love it. We have something in personal training. So I've had my personal training business now going on year 12, actually, um, this month, which is crazy. But um, when somebody walks in the door, it's, you know, their first week or month, it's 90% what they want and 10% what you want. And by about six months in, it's about 90% what I want and 10% what they want, because I believe I know what's best for them. But you got to, you got to coerce them into trusting you and then really, you know, doing the fitness and health changing things that need to be done. And they think they know what they need to do. And most of the time they're wrong. Point being is it's that same power shift. It's really, it's like 90% what the athlete wants in the beginning and 10% what you want. And as it goes on, it does, it shifts to you being like the decision maker and getting what you want. Um, Which sounds kind of crazy, but uh, it is true. And in this sense, you also have to like, Obviously, it's like the athlete is in control, or they should be. This is their experience. But are they? Especially as the the event gets later and later, who's really in control of the decisions being made? And that's where you just have to have faith uh, in yourself. And and the thing is, is that you need to remind, there's going to be a point, especially if you did what Bracken said about um, understanding the game plan, having your checklist, you're going to have to remind them of this. You're going to be the responsible party for this checklist, this game plan. This You said you were going to go out easy and you're five minutes fast on your first lap. Just reminding you, oh, you're feeling, you're feeling good? That's great. Wow, wow, wow. Like, hurrah. Maybe, but maybe you should be like, hey, you, remember the plan? Let's stick with it. Because a lot of times that gets people easily, they get this grant, ideas of grandeur and theory and they write down the plan and then it all goes to crap because of rain or conditions or something. And so it's your job to remind them. Actually, in fact, you should probably know that plan as well or better than they do. And so, yes, there's time to pivot, but I think that falls in line with the decision-making thing too, is being like, hey, this is what you said. Let's let's retouch base on that. And so that I think is is important to, to know as well. It is. Yeah, and, and I experienced this with the Tennessee Mile. Six hours came through every lap. Now that is a very atypical one 1.1 miles you see your crew over and over and over it's very atypical but it kind of amplifies the ultra experience in terms of dealing with crew and so i'd gone over my dad was going to be my main pick person and then the girls started you know he would he would delegate to them all right here are the two bottles you're bringing out this lap and they'd run out there all smiling it was awesome Mm -hmm. but he knew the plan 
he knew the splits I was going for, and I had my bottles coated. So I had different color bottles for different for different laps, and my power bottles were going to have a different lid color than everything else, and I had written down everything. We, we were pretty set. So I come through about 20 seconds ahead on lap one, and he said, a little fast coming through, and it, and it was it was good to hear. He didn't say, that's bad, or mm-hmm. that's awesome, go with it. He just said, you're a little fast. And then when we got through at about, I said, anywhere from lap three to four, I'm going to start drinking calories. Well, on lap two, he was out there with one kind of half extended. Just take it if you want it, and I didn't want it. Lap three, he's out there. This third lap, here's your calorie bottle. And it gave me the chance to say, my stomach's not ready for it yet. But even though I didn't want it, it kept me engaged thinking about what the plan was supposed to be. Sure. I had freedom to say no and to deviate from the plan, but I had to intentionally do it. Because as runners, especially in a long race, we start to perseverate on one thing. And oftentimes it's not the thing that matters in that moment. You just launch, you latch onto that one thing that's going to keep you going for a while or you lose yourself and to hear someone when you come through say, all right, this is the lap we were going to start eating. Do you still want this? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're like, oh shoot. Yeah, I'm supposed to. And other times it's like, no, get that away from me. But you have to have the right of first refusal really out on course and reminding them, like you said, reminding them of the plan will keep them thinking about the plan. Even if the plan's not going to be followed. Because it'll remind them why they set that plan, and then they can make decisions accordingly rather than just irrationally. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Yeah, yeah. So it's just so just being on the same page. I think the most important part is having that uh, having that meeting early on, or going over what the expectations are and such. Mm-hmm. Um, just nuances within coming to the pit, um, having everything at the ready, making sure you're timing their laps to know when to expect them. So when they come in, you're not caught off guard. Um, or, or having everything ready right away. If somebody, an athlete wants something and it takes you two minutes to make a sandwich, well, that is valuable time, depending on how competitive your athlete is feeling. So just having like making sure those little things, like I'm going to calculate when they're coming around next, I'm going to be on the ready. I am going to have everything laid out right away already. Like I can grab at a moment's notice. Those dry socks are already right there sitting, waiting the change. I can anticipate Oh, the rain started. Oh, I can feel it's getting colder. You have to be the forethought for your athlete. And so that way everything becomes quicker and more manageable uh, for them without sort of scrambling. So like the forethought and the question asking, I think is really big, but just kind of being on the ready for when they come around. And a lot like you were, a lot like you were saying, um, you know, how in the beginning you're asking very few questions and then you start to ask more and more and it becomes more about you making decisions as you go versus the athlete. Like you're just throwing things at them and telling them more firmly uh, I brought up initially, you know, the love versus tough love, and it follows that same sort of sequence. In the beginning, support. Make sure they know they're doing a good job and commend like commend them as if you are their coach. And you may have no right feeling like their coach, but guess what? You actually are. You're also their hype man or woman. You're filling a lot of roles. But also the best coaches are firm but fair. And so starting out with love, right, it should be pretty much honeymoon and rainbows early on, ideally, if this is going to, you know, endure most of the uh, the length of the race. But eventually that love, like there's going to be a shift in that percentage and there's going to be a shift that from love to like tough love. And it's going to trend. It's You're not going to need to do much tough love early, hopefully. But eventually 
a poor crew member is somebody who just says, yes, okay, I understand. That is being a bad crew member. Let me do this for you. Oh my God, are you okay? I just don't want you to get hurt out there. You're not looking so good. Like that doesn't really do anybody any good unless it's an extenuating circumstance. And there are extenuating circumstances. But your job is to be firm but fair at some point and start to speak to be like the authoritative figure at some point. Or, you know, the person there, the athlete's aiming to please. And so again, love to tough love eventually will be necessary. You have to be able to read the situation, of course. If somebody's in trouble, you clearly you, you just show kindness. But a lot of times it becomes the head game, right? And so my philosophy is you will get more out of somebody if we can sl- if it's it's slowly going to be guided that direction. Don't get me wrong, there are some freak athletes who don't need any of it. They are cyborgs. They are wired differently, and it doesn't matter what you do or say because they are a steel trap. But that is the small fraction of ultra athletes. Like I know myself, I am very human. You get me twelve hours into a race and I'm cold and wet and hungry and I don't want it anymore. I'm gonna need somebody to set me down, grab my shoulders firm, and say, "Kirk, remember why you're here." And those are going to help. So not that we need to jump into that. I know that you wanted to push that off a little bit, but that shift is going to happen at some point. And just being supportive in a yes, ma'am, is not helpful at some point. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and, and you have to, again, treat them like they're a lesser version of themselves. So think about when a child wants to do something themselves. Let's say uh, uh, Mira, for example, wants to tie her own shoes every single morning. But if she didn't untie them the night before and we only have two minutes to get out the door, I have to say, hey, let me untie these. You worry about your jacket. Let me work on your feet here. Yes. That's the way you have to treat an athlete. They're going to look and say, oh, I want my shoes on the right way. It's like, no, that's nonsense. Get your calories. Sit down and eat. I'm going to take care of this. Because once you're out on trail and you don't like the feel of your shoes, that's 10 seconds per shoe to readjust. It's going to take you a minute and a half right now to get your shoes laced apart, get your get them on your feet, get them situated properly, lace them up, and then you have to start fueling or switching your jacket. You have to treat them like a toddler and say, no, don't worry about that. You need to get out of transition. I'm going to take care of your feet. Adjust it on the fly if you don't like it. And then the moment they stand up, as soon as you see the glazed look appear, you're directing them like a crossing guard. Again, like a child. <laughs> And the exit to the crew is to the left. You can even put your hand on their back and guide them in the right direction because when they stand up, they might not. Like you said, there are some people who can just be a robot, hand me my thing and get out of the way. But most people are going to be to the point where there's no light on anymore. Our mind in an ultra, when we start out a race, think of it like a radar. It's scanning in every direction real far, real far. And so you're looking into the distance. You're like, sun's not up yet. But we have big clouds rolling. And I think probably 20 minutes from now, I'm going to have to start thinking about getting my jacket out. Three hours in, your radar is scanning probably only directly in front of you at about half the distance it used to be. Yeah. And maybe eight hours in, there is no scan anymore. There's a tiny little blip with a little light directly in front of your feet, and that's all you can see. You're not looking up in the sky anymore because you're going to trip and fall. You're not thinking about how long did the people pass in front of me and am I hearing cheering in there? Does that mean I'm I'm about to start that final climb? You're not on scan anymore. Your radar is not on scan. That's what race brain is. It stops Mm -hmm. functioning. So now you, the crew member, has to start picking up that radar. You have to look at the sky and say, I think they're coming in in 10 minutes and it looks like something's rolling in. I doubt he's going to ask for his jacket, but I'm going to hand him his jacket. You have to like take up that brain capacity that gets lost every hour in an ultra, and you have to fill that in for them. 
How many ultra athletes out there are feeling a little insulted right now? Just comparing them to children. None of them. Just None. whiny, cry, can't make decisions for themselves. Yeah, we know it. Well, it it's just something you don't really real, especially if you're accruing for the first time. I don't think people realize how ugly it gets. Really. Yeah. And in the most beautiful DNA changing experience of a way, but the reason people do ultras is to hit rock bottom, is to suffer, is to find out what they're made of, and your job is to remind them of that. But inevitably, it does get ugly, and it should if they're really testing their limits, and anybody signing up for an ultra is there to test their limits. They're not there to be pat on the back and have their shoulders rubbed and and you know, given a nice soft landing to every little problem that's coming up, believe it or not, your ultra there athlete is there for the problems. Your ultra athlete is there for the adversity. That's what they crave. That's why they do this stupid crap to go suffer, to go struggle. Mm-hmm. And then, and just understanding that 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 is part of this, and that it's not signed to pull the plug when little things go wrong all the time. You know, it is just a reminder, like, believe it or not, when they come in and they're glazed over and they're in tears and they don't want to, that's what they were waiting to feel. And so don't soften up on them. Don't soften up. They asked for this. They signed up for this. They paid for this. Your job isn't to be sweet little grandma taking care of everything and only the good stuff. Like your job is to remind them that they came here to be miserable and let's embrace it, right? And so with that comes the one more lap principle. One more lap. People have gone 30 more miles on the one more lap principle. I know you hate this right now. I know you're suffering. I know that the last thing you want to do is put on that old wet pair of shoes you have, but it's the only one we got left right now. I understand you're hungry and you can't even think straight, but one more lap, like one more lap. One more checkpoint. One more and you sell them on it. Yes. Next checkpoint has soup. Next <laughs> checkpoint has hot chocolate. You know, whatever it is, next checkpoint has this. You just got to get to that one, and then you're set. Exactly. That, because this is what they train for. Every long train run, every hill workout, every night run or morning run, they imagined getting to this bad point and breaking through it. Mm-hmm. However, by the time they get to the bad point – at least half the people don't want to be there anymore. But it doesn't change the fact that they wanted to be here and beat it. Just in the moment, they have to be saved from themselves. You have to give them permission to keep going. And sometimes you have to prod them to keep going because just like a toddler, let's go back to this, just like a little mm-hmm. kid, when they get really bogged down on a problem, maybe it's trying to sound out a word. Maybe it's trying to color inside the lines. If you allow them to quit right when it's to the make or break point, They're not going to master that task and they won't have that. But if you just say, no, 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 sound this out, they're going to come out the other side able to read. And then life is different. And that's the same thing here. If you allow them to get to the point where it goes wrong and then step off without any rebuttal there, they're not going to come out the other side ready to read. Mm -hmm. They're going to come out the other side ready to drop out again at this point. So you have to protect them from themselves and remind them, no, this is that part. This is that point where everyone else is dropping out. And look how many people are walking off here. Just go. Just by starting again, you pass 15 people. But you've got to get to the other side here. You have to be their guide through that bad point, just like a child who's stumbling over a task. 
Exactly. You use tricks like you would with a kid. If you don't, if you want a kid to eat asparagus or, or let's say broccoli, well, you put broccoli and asparagus on their plate and they're going to eat one of them because the other one is more disgusting. Mm. And if you want them to eat, let's say, or drink like our kids right now, there's two types of cough medicine. We put both cough medicines in front of them and then they jump at the chance to, ju- to drink the white one because the red one's disgusting. Mm-hmm. You do that with your athlete. When they don't want food or to drink anymore, you put out two options knowing that they're going to take one of them. Instead of saying, can we try drinking? You say, got to have one of these. And one of them is usually going to turn their stomach and then they'll turn to the other one and be like, oh, I couldn't have ever had that other one. Not realizing they're drinking down in the moment. Mm. So you have to fabricate momentum for these people. If they've been on on PB and J and you know, it's going to turn their gut at this point, then like you said, you have a, a burger waiting or you have a donut or you have a candy bar and you show them both of them. And they're going to just, they don't even have to think they're going to go to the one that they can stomach. And worst case scenario is you spend, like you said, five minutes making a sandwich that wasn't asked for and they come through, they know they don't want it. And you hand it off to another, another crew. Mm-hmm. Like, hey man, here's a, I've got a ham sandwich here. Use it for your guy. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. We're out of food. And you pass it down the line. That's half of what these things are about is that community that gets built up in the crew is every bit as powerful as the people out on the trail running together. You're going to walk out of there with lifelong connections. Mm -hmm. But you have to manufacture situations where they have to make a choice that is correct for them rather than ignore a choice. I could not agree more. Um, So if we talk about the love versus tough love thing, like the – like when is it when does a crew member let's say succumb to the athlete's desires to stop, slow down, take a break? Like inevitably like the ultra wins in some capacity, right? In some of these races a backyard style, everybody loses but one person. Everybody DNFs but one person. So like there's a tap out period. Many times in a 24-hour ultra People tap out significantly early. Half the field will tap out early at WTM coming up, like probably more. I don't know what the statistics are there, but you know, at what point, at what point do you stop rubbing their nose in it and start, then you go back to love, right? It's like love, extreme tough love. And then you finish again with love. It's like a love sandwich, a tough love sandwich. What, uh, when does that turn? Do you have any thoughts on that when it goes back to the, uh, you know what? Like, how do you treat either the finish or the failure? Like, what is your role at that point? Well, the teacher in me says that this is an easy process. Even though it's hard in theory, it's easy when it's on paper. So you got to get it on paper. So what we used to do, again, I was a special ed teacher, and we deal with a lot of students with actual behavioral or learning issues. Mm-hmm. And at the start of every semester or term or new unit, we'd sit down in a meeting with them and be like, all right, what does success look like for this? What do you struggle with historically? What is a reason that's acceptable to fail here? And what are the non-acceptable reasons? You do the same thing with your, your ultra athletes beforehand. What are real acceptable reasons to DNF? What is a real reason to walk off course? Like, give me a hierarchy of injuries. What are you going to work through and what is not smart? Stomach-wise, what, like, where is the line? We need to know. Tell me, tell me what's weak from other athletes that you've seen that you know they'll walk off if this happens that's unacceptable. And then what are the real reasons? And then you can just use it right back on them when it gets bad. 
then it then you don't have to make the decision am i being tough or am i being loving here you can just follow their protocol you can say listen i understand your chafing but remember you identified chafing as what weak athletes quit due to so you already made this decision you you're not going to quit during chafing so get back out there and let's get moving and then later on when it's you're you're starting to deal with one of those things that is kind of on the edge there then then you start being loving like hey this is a real reason to quit. I get that. You have my permission to quit here. You already said this would be acceptable. And nine times out of 10, they're back out on that trail because they're mm-hmm. mad at you for giving the, them the option. But I love it if they, if you can use your own words against a student, it ticks them off and it fires their ego back up. And they can have the logic of, I did say that's weak to give up for that reason. Now I would have to admit ahead of time that I'm being weak if I quit. So anytime you can use their own rules and logic for or against them, I think you lead with that. Okay. Well, we talk about like, or I had asked about, you know, when, when push comes to shove, right? When Mm -hmm. that moment happens where now they're in the chair for 15 minutes, they're crying. They don't want to, the thought of going out there is so repulsive that they can't wrap their brain around it. It's 3 a.m. You know, everything, it just feels like it's stacked against them. At some point, there's going to be a time also potentially where you just got to leave them be. Like sometimes like throwing a pity party is helpful. Sometimes throwing a pity party is the necessary process and then moving on. Like let them just be Mm -hmm. alone with their misery. You know what? I'm just going to give you some space. You just do your thing. I'll come back and check on you and let them suss it out in their heads. It's like, like I said, you got to be such a good read of the situation, the uh, the, the person, how it's yeah. going. But, but there's a time and place for both, and that's where you just have to be perceptive. But ultimately, you're just gonna know. I think you're gonna know, like this is this is it, and you're gonna know because it's not gonna come out of nowhere. You're not gonna be hearing it for the first time, or the second time, or the third time. They're gonna complain more and more every lap, every time they come through about something. They're gonna get more and more withdrawn and eventually you're just gonna i think you're gonna know and you're like you know what i'm proud of you let's go get some sleep and that's okay but you're it's not gonna be out of the blue you're gonna have an idea but at some point you just flip that switch from tough love and maybe even the same couple sentences come on now like get back out here remember what you set out to do they burst into tears (laughs) or they literally slump in their chair and they're like you switch on a dime and then it's anything you can do. You are their servant. They are your master. Just help them. Whatever, whatever. Be alive. So, so again, I, I like the tough love approach. It's how I approach a lot of things with people, and it tends to get good results. But at some point, then it becomes very humanizing, and then you're like, "Yep, okay." But you'll know. I don't think you have to wonder, but you have to try the tough love. You have to keep prying and prying and prying and poking and suggesting until it's like, "Yep, yeah, 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 this is it." So, yeah. Yeah, and I agree with that. Yeah. And again, it's no different than dealing with a little kid. You can be getting on their case, getting on their case, and the second you see that their face change, you're like, oh, I pushed too hard. Yeah. I'm sorry. Get over here. And you just wrap them up, and you love on them, and you're like, all right, we can do this. Mm -hmm. Or we don't have to. Let's just go lay on the couch for a little bit. It's fine. But one of the best, that that whole chatter rights, don't quit on the stool, don't don't die in the chair, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. All right, you got to get out. Go make it out a half mile. All right. Even if you have to walk half mile, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. 
All right, 10 minutes out, 10 minutes back. I'm waiting here for 20 minutes and then I'm heading to the next aid station. You can quit if you want, but I need to see you come back out of the trail towards me. If you can get out a half mile, keep going. Great. If not, if it's really that bad, walk 10 minutes back here. We're going to pack up and leave. But I need to see you come out of the trail, not sit in the chair. That's always a good one because most of the time, if you can just get up and moving, you can go back to zombie mode and get to the next checkpoint. But at the end of the day, as much as it is your job to support in every way possible, you can't run this for them and you can't make them want it more than they do. Mm -hmm. And so part of ultras sometimes is just failing. Sometimes the best thing for someone is an embarrassing DNF in front of someone they know. And it's going to eat at them and eat at them. And they're either never going to do it again. And then they've, they've, they've lost, they lost, or they're going to make the correct adjustments and they're going to come back and do it next time. I've DNF'd. I've DNF'd more than once. I've quit one ultra and it was, it was shameful for me. And it was very important that I come to terms with why I quit. Had I hung on, and had I finished, that would have been such a win, but I wouldn't have had that tough conversation that was going to had to be had to be had at some point. So sometimes you have to give them permission to quit because this might be part of their journey. They might need to hit rock bottom. So you can't just whip them and drive them forward a hundred percent of the time. And I think that's what you're getting at. Sometimes you just gotta wrap them up and say, All right, you did it. You tried. Mm-hmm. If you're really, really, really ready to be done, you have to speak those words to me and then I'll accept them and we can go home. Yep, exactly. What do you think um, is, is there a, a limit to the amount of stagnant time an athlete can have? It may be in an athlete's game plan to sleep for two hours in the middle of an ultra. Like if that's part of the plan, great. That person isn't going to be the one winning, but most people aren't. So, like, when do you think it's like, come on, come on, got to get moving, come on. For me, I think most of my athletes, we have, like, you know, you get in, you start a five-minute timer, and you stay to that the best and as long as you can, like, setting parameters there. But at some point, like, yeah. an object in motion generally stays in motion, an object at rest wants to stay at rest, and that very much is true for the ultra. The longer you let somebody linger, I just need another minute, or I just need to warm back up, or I just need, just give me more time, like I need more time, I'm not ready yet. Like, How do you how do you think you should handle that conversation? Because that, ha that conversation handle, uh, is happening constantly out there. Yeah, and there is a time for everything, but in general, I'm a believer in you want the fastest pit stop possible. Because if you don't ever truly stop, stop. And I'm resting can cannot be considered stopping. If you are coming in with a plan of I'm laying down for seven minutes and getting going, that's not stopping. That's executing. Mm -hmm. But when you go off course in terms of your plan and you're just stopping, you're no longer doing what you were there to do. So I, I'm a firm believer and you set your timer. You have a plan. I'm going to, this is a 30 second pit stop. This is a seven minute pit stop. This is a two minute pit stop. I am taking a 90 minute nap. Well, that goes off 90 minutes. The timer goes off and you have 90 seconds to get up and get out because your crew member has laid everything out there, prodding you out. Go, 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 mm -hmm. go. As soon as that stops happening, as soon as they're not using you for what they brought you to do, I think it's over. No. So sticking to the plan. 
stick to the plan and then modify the plan. That's fine. But you have to be able to say, all right, this was supposed to be, this was supposed to be a 15 minute nap. That's just, we tried that last time. It didn't cut it. I need 30 minutes here. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to execute that. But when they roll over and say, no, 30 minutes more, like, no, I'm sorry. You've got to get up and go. If you want 30 minutes, you might as well take three hours because 30 extra minutes here, that's not sticking to the new plan. You're making that emotionally rather than rationally. Yeah. You're just going to have it. Like you said earlier, you're going to have a feel for it. Yeah. You know, by this point when you're being BS, because again, you're, you're reduced to childlike behavior. They have that look in their eye when are they buying what I'm saying? You can tell when they're BSing at this point and you can just tell them, sorry, you don't need 30 minutes. You need to get moving. You're there to run, right? You're there to, or walk, or you're there to race. You're there to do it. If you're trying to convince your crew member to let you not do that activity, you're not doing that activity anymore. Yeah. That's why it comes down to sticking to the plan. That pre-race meeting you talked about um, is so important. It's like almost like you should be interviewing the athlete. Like, what do you want me to do in this situation? Mm -hmm. What they're thinking clearly, they have all the aspirations, their emotion is detached from how they're feeling. Like literally interview them. If this happens, what like think of every scenario and have an answer so that you can throw their own words in their face for one like you said this is what we're doing and so it's my job to do that i think just uh having those expectations sticking to the plan but asking all of those questions when you get tired at 1 a.m and you want a nap like what do you want me to do um very good very good points yeah very good points that's what it comes down to so I'm sure we're missing plenty here, right? We're doing very surface level stuff. I think one important thing, and that is at the pre-race meeting and even before then, you need to have your own prep for how you're going to handle it. This is like going to a live sporting event. The players on the field might be in uh, sleeveless uniforms, but you're going to be freezing up in the stands. So you need to have every bit as much gear packed as they do. And if they're preparing for 10 degree weather, you need to prepare for negative 10 because you're not moving. Crewing is physically demanding. You're going to be on your feet way more than you thought. The rest periods in between are never going to feel as long as you thought they were. And it's always going to be colder or hotter or windier or rainier than you expected. So your your kit needs to be every bit as bulletproof as theirs. Because the last thing you want is to be standing there in 10 degree weather with wind whipping and a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt. That's just not going to cut it. So your gear matters every bit as much as theirs. And if your gear fails, their race fails. If their gear fails but yours doesn't, you can keep them going. But they can't support you and you can't support them if you're miserable. So that is, I think, every bit as important as anything they're going to do is your kit must be in order as well. Great point. I I led this conversation saying it's about them. It's not about you. It's about the athlete. It's not about you. But you are more than correct in that aspect. If you are not taken care of, how the heck are you going to take care of somebody else in full? It's like, Mm -hmm. so putting yourself first and being smart, like treating this like an event for you, you're right. If, If things go for you, like... Crew members get tired. Crew members become mentally weak at one, two, three in the morning when it's cold, dark, and the novelty of this whole thing is wore off. Crew members have been asleep when their athletes come in. Crew members don't want to anymore. It's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. You're going to have your own battles out there. It's a long day and night. It's a tough situation. And even if you can sneak sleep in when they're out on laps, it's not going to be very good, and it's going to be very broken, and you're going to be just as cranky. But that's where you just got to make sure you're doing whatever you can to stay comfortable. It's so true because if you don't, then 
how the heck are you going to support the way that athlete needs? So you're right. Make some decisions for yourself. That Staying comfortable is huge. Huge. Have to. Yep. And you can rely on everyone else. It's a community that travels from checkpoint to checkpoint. And if it's a lap-based race, everyone's got their little setup there. You can rely on other people. People bring so much extra. If you show up there with not quite enough, you are the outlier. There is so much extra. And some people are sitting around the fire drinking and other people are sitting there in their campers. Other people are just like playing a guitar. And it is a little like Woodstock scenario. There is going to be something for everyone and people will have your back. So lean into the community. I like it. Well, for the sake of trying to keep this thing to about an hour, Bracken, we have almost arrived. We have. Any last minute things you want to wedge in there? You're always good for that. That last one was great, great advice. No, that's enough. Maybe maybe one. Reach out to people who have crewed before. Right. I back all of that up. Bracken. When are you going to run a big ultra so I can crew you? I'm a good crew member, Chris. Oh, I believe it. Oh, I believe it. I have no plans as of now anyways. I don't believe you do either. All right, folks. Don't forget. Go write those ratings and reviews. If you do it on Apple Podcasts, we'll see it. If you don't, Send us a screenshot if you use another platform um, so we know you did it. We can enter you in the mix. Just shoot that to our running public uh, Instagram account. And uh, three of you will win a free T-shirt. So have about a week to do it. Maybe to the end of next week, we'll let it run. We'll see how it plays out. But hard cut off by the end of next week, that's for sure. So we'd really appreciate it. Anything else you want to add? Those olive greens are going fast. They're a hit. Yeah. I had somebody tell me, one of my athletes, that she wasn't feeling any of the colors and wasn't going to order any. And she wanted to let me know. And I was like, these are the four coolest cool. color shirts that you could ask for. They're dope. So they're going. And the green one. Green one's sweet. They're all sweet. Buy them all. So good. They're going fast. In fact, some of the colors are, or some of the sizes are almost out. So. All right. Till next time. I'm going to go read your reviews. That's a wrap. Mm-hmm.